Welcome to Voices of E-Learning, reflecting the people living and breathing the future of education and online learning with your host, J.W. Marshall. Hello and welcome everyone to today's episode of Voices of E-Learning. I'm your host, J.W. Marshall with MarketScale, and we are so glad that you found us today. Our guest on this episode is Tom Watkins. He is the former state superintendent of Michigan, uh, as well as the Department of Mental Health. He is currently the host of CentricLearning.net's new Beyond the Classroom podcast, and he is an all-around ed tech pioneer. Tom, how are you doing today? I'm absolutely great here in the beautiful state of Michigan. All right. And before we jump into our conversation and our questions, uh, if you could just give our audience a little bit of background, a little more background on yourself uh, and what you're doing with Centric Learning. Well, I grew up in the Washington, D.C. area a number of years ago and saw kids who weren't being treated right. And I decided at that early age I was going to make a difference um, for young people. And that's risk really been a focus of my life ever since. As you mentioned, uh, state superintendent of schools, state mental health director involved in local, state, and national politics, uh, have uh, an eclectic career. Some people have a career ladder. Mine's been more of a career rock climb, uh, leading a major business organization, the Economic Council of Palm Beach County, also serving concurrently as the uh, executive director of the Education Partnership. Um, so I've, uh, I've been around education at the local, state, national, and international level. I've uh, been traveling to China since uh, 1989, my first trip. So trying to find ways to add value, make a difference in the lives of our children is really what a lot of my life has been about. And you are no stranger to e-learning, to education technology. Uh, you're a bit of a pioneer. Uh, talk to us pre-pandemic uh, about the last uh, 10, 20 years um, of your experience kind of on a macro level of uh, how you've seen technology evolve. Well, I see technology as, as another tool to really help our great teachers teach and, and our children learn. Um, my belief is, is that uh, educators with uh, the passion, the desire, and the knowledge to, in their subject area provided with the right support by their principal, the superintendent, the community, and given the right tools, uh, really can front load the excitement uh, of learning. I believe that in my heart of hearts as I served as state superintendent of schools, we had some exceptional teachers uh, that needed the support, they, they needed the motivation uh, the, the, and the tools to do their jobs and really focused on that. As I left the state superintendency in 2005, I went back to my um, prior job at Wayne State University, serving as the assistant to the president of Wayne State, a major research university here in the city of Detroit, um, wrote a paper uh, called uh, The New Education Revolution, E-Learning uh, for Michigan Schools. Um, that was in 2005. The state took that policy um, and uh, mandated that every child, uh, henceforth in Michigan, have an e-learning experience. Um, but there's a number of policies that were developed uh, and the recommendations back in 2005 that I wish um, that the state would have been more diligent in following up on as the pandemic hit just about a year ago and far too many of our schools uh, weren't ready uh, to hit the switch and, and to move over uh, to remote using e-learning, blended learning, 
opportunities to really uh, help kids during this, uh, this, this past year. And that's been a bit of a shame. There's some districts that really excelled and some students and some teachers, but we should have been, I believe, here in the state of Michigan and across the nation more prepared um, in order to take advantage. And my hope is coming out of the pandemic that policymakers will take a look at what happened right and make sure that they support that going forward and what went wrong and make sure that we're better prepared um, for the next pandemic that hits this nation and the world. And I think you're spot on in that uh, districts that had some technology uh, experience really had a leg up on those that didn't uh, when the pandemic hit. But those that were really uh, starting to integrate technology at, at a little bit higher level were the ones that actually excelled during this time and saw less learning loss. We're getting more reports on that. Um, what can districts do uh, to be better prepared? How do we not go back to 2019 uh, this fall or next year as the pandemic hopefully subsides? Uh, and how do we build a better 2021? Well, what I've encouraged even a year ago is, is that the governors and state superintendents really put together task forces to take a look at these issues, um, because oftentimes uh, the superintendent and the principal are drinking uh, from a fire hose now and not having a lot of time to be thinking about uh, the future. Uh, some progressive school districts did that, had people thinking about what are we going to do coming out and uh, are, are better prepared. Um, some didn't and are going to be playing catch up. Um, what we're seeing today, though, is, is that uh, President Biden uh, and Congress has put forth uh, a lot of money. I think it's $130 billion uh, that are going into our schools, additional money to help uh, deal with uh, the learning loss. Uh, and my hope is, is that we don't uh, focus on remediation and, and uh, just plugging holes, but we really look at ways that technology can accelerate learning. Um, because a kid that's a couple years behind doesn't need just to, to kind of get back to even. Even isn't going to be good enough for them. And technology can be a tool in the hands of great teachers that can help accelerate learning for our children. And I absolutely agree. I think the only way we really get out of this learning loss deficit is to, to really reimagine education, rethink what we're doing, and build a better system that accelerates learning so that the students affected now actually could end up benefiting in years to come because it's going to be a better experience. It's going to be more yep. motivating. Absolutely. I mean, I think what we need to do is, is to have educators pull up the anchors from the past, toss them aside, and, and raise the sale of uh, accelerated learning using personalized learning, uh, project-based learning, which Centric uses very effectively on their educational platform, Hero. Um, to really motivate kids to, to move forward at their pace um, and uh, to really catch up. Uh, as I say, having traveled and worked uh, in China quite a bit over the years, let me assure you the Chinese aren't sitting back waiting for us to catch up. They're moving ahead and we need to uh, move forward with the education of our children um, as though our collective future depends on it because in my estimation, it absolutely does. And technology. Um, along with the passion of great teachers, can really help us uh, help children and help prepare this country uh, for the future. Absolutely. And we just had an episode recently talking about the expansion of education and technology into the, the other parts of the world, not just China, but 
South America, the Middle East, and uh, many international systems were better prepared for this pandemic with the use of technology in place um, than we were in the U.S. And, and it is really alarming. Um, and we've really closed the gap more than we ever have, the digital divide, the digital equity and access, accessibility. Um, but we can't take the foot off the gas pedal. Um, we've seen policy change quickly, which we never thought we would see. Um, and my hope is that the, the genie is out of the box and, and we don't go backwards in, in that respect. You no, know, if I can on that, that too, is, is that I think what we need is for superintendents, state superintendents, local superintendents, governors, uh, legislators, be asking the question, not how they spend this new uh, uh, COVID relief dollars that are coming in for education, but how they invest it in a way um, that will really make a difference in the lives of the children uh, that are in front of them today and are coming down the pike. Um, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity uh, to really accelerate learning. And we need to be, as, as you pointed out, JW, we really need to be about rethinking and reinventing, uh, not what is and not kind of, you know, as a lot of the talk is, going back to normal. I don't want to go back to normal. Normal wasn't good enough for far too many of our children. Uh, so we really need to be finding ways to accelerate that learning and using technology uh, kind of partnered with great teachers to do so. And you beat me to my question. So we're on the same wavelength here. Uh, I was going to ask for advice for superintendents, district administrators, uh, because you're right, 2019 wasn't that great for a lot of student populations. Um, and now is, I'm beating the drum in every episode, I feel like, now is the time to, to do that. Really, you should have started that a few months ago, if not last year, but it's not too late now. Uh, you can't wait till the summer, you can't wait till this fall. Um, we really need to be looking at these funding dollars as infrastructure reform for education, whether that's buildings, technology, connectivity, more professional development for our educators. Um, there was a recent study that said 69% of uh, U.S. teachers still don't feel comfortable with the technology after a year of the pandemic. Um, and that and that number's too high. Um, I, I want to talk about professional development for a minute uh, as a segue. Um, how, how do we get there uh, in your experience, in your opinion, um, as this isn't a one-time training, <laughs> this is ongoing professional development. Uh, these tools and strategies are evolving. Um, for those districts that feel like they're they're behind in that respect, um, where's where's the best place to start? What strategy would you recommend? Well, one area I think that we can do is that there's a lot of talk right now about uh, summer school and tutoring taking place for our students dealing with the learning loss. Um, but those summer learning camps and uh, summer school and uh, tutoring opportunities need to be available for our teachers as well, um, making sure that uh, that they don't just get handed a, a computer and say, good luck, um, you know, take their regular class and put it up on a on a Google Doc or, or using Zoom uh, to do it. There are strategies, there are skills uh, that we have. I, I just sat down uh, recently with a teacher with uh, Centric Learning who had spent a good part of their career. So they're not just a digital native. Uh, this is a person that was probably in their 50s. Um, and it was like they saw the light. I think that's a word that, that they used. Um, with the training that they received from their colleagues and at Centric Learning, uh, they used, uh, found ways to not just take the same old sage on the stage uh, lecture process that has historically been used, 
but to use uh, technology not just as a tool to stick a kid in front of and stare at a, a at a screen all day, um, but ways where they can uh, weave in uh, the technologies, sit down and find out where the child's interest is and build off of that. So having uh, to, using some of these dollars to invest in our in our teachers would be a strategy I think that we can do and, and look at what's working. Um, Centric just got some data uh, back recently that shows that uh, what they have been doing, and they've been doing this for over a decade on four different uh, continents, uh, was moving the needle academically uh, and social emotionally for students, not only here in the United States, but, uh, but around the world. And, and I like that you brought up uh, social emotional learning. That was uh, my next question. Um, such a critical um, component before the learning can really begin sometimes, before the curriculum choices matter. We really have to take care of that social emotional learning. What shift have you seen in the last 12 months in, in respect to a focus on uh, SEL? And, and how do you see that continuing into the fall of 21 and into the future years? Well, I think that it's uh, something, as we talked early on, my career has intersected in education and mental health and business and politics and global issues. And we we need to take a look at, at the um, at the child, uh, kind of off of that old nursery rhyme. I think it was called uh, Bones, the knee bones connected to the... Um, our children uh, are more than just their little academic selves. They come to school sometimes hungry and a child can't learn if they're hungry. Uh, they come from uh, various uh, life challenges in their home, from uh, poverty, lack of uh, resources, lack of uh, family direction. And this happens in our schools, not just in our urban environment, but in our rural environments as well. So making sure that our, that our teachers are not just schooled in their subject matter, whether that's math or English language arts or social studies, but taking children from where they are. As one mother once said to me, I'm sending you the best kid I got. I'm not keeping the smart, well-behaved, uh, uh, you know, honor student at, at home. So it's our job as adults, as educators, whether that's an administrative capacity, counseling, uh, or a teacher, to take children from where they're at and take them to where they can be. Uh, and we can and we are creating great futures uh, for for our kids, but it's really about preparing our children for their future and not uh, not our past. I love that. And one of my big takeaways from 2020 was um, the emphasis on checking in on how people are doing, how students are doing before the bell rings, before the the work starts, you know, and really asking people uh, and even educators making sure that they're tanks are full and that they're not getting burned out and, and overstressed, um, starting your staff meetings, just to check in on a human level with um, your your teams before you get into the work. Uh, and I really hope that's something that continues. Yeah, absolutely, JW. I mean, that, that thing that I hear quite a bit out is, first, be kind. I mean, uh, remember that, uh, that all of us, whether uh, it's the principal of the school, the teacher of the school, the student, uh, they're struggling right now. And uh, it's our responsibility to lift up those children in particular and make sure that uh, they're supported in any and all ways they can um, so they can get the education they need and deserve to be successful uh, in, in this life. 
And so now transitioning into the work a little bit, the curriculum, you mentioned project-based learning earlier. Um, most of my audience will be very familiar or think they're familiar with project-based learning. Um, but to kind of level set, uh, give us your uh, your insights into what what is project-based learning and why is it effective and what's the impact it can have yeah. for students? It's something I wish I had as, as a kid um, because I was curious, uh, I was learned, and, you know, they would tell me we got to learn this way. And, you know, my question is I was, you know, perpetually a two-year-old, always asking why, you know, why? Why do we have to do it that way? Why can't we do it this way? Why can't we focus there? But PBL, really, uh, project-based learning, uh, it starts with a big question. I mean, a big, audacious, bold question. Um, you know, what can we do uh, locally in order to address climate change? It's finding areas of interest for children and, and taking that question and letting the kids dissect it and try to find ways uh, to, to answer it and um, help steer them where the teacher really becomes a, uh, a guide, uh, a mentor, a, uh, a helper along the way and doesn't have to have all the answers. Uh, and, and it really helps kids, I think, problem solve, which from my putting my business hat on when I led a major business organization in Palm Beach County, Florida, um, you know, employers were looking for kids that could work or students, workers that could work in, in team, work with uh, people from different uh, backgrounds, uh, take a problem and find a solution. And project-based learning uh, does just that. It really uh, prepares kids uh, for the real world in which they're going to enter. And I've, I've always said we're living in a hyper-competitive, disruptive knowledge economy, uh, technologically driven, where ideas and jobs can and do move around the world effortlessly. And so preparing young people today um, to enter that world uh, is really what PBL is doing um, with districts that are progressive enough to find ways to, to make it work for teachers and, and students. And it really brings the connection to the real world. We know that that's so important um, to motivate and engage students in, in the curriculum. Um, talk about maybe some more examples. Uh, I think the climate change, change example was great, but what are some other examples in other areas that uh, are maybe a little out of the box that you've seen yeah, in fact, I got a great one. I mean, uh, somebody who I like and respect, who's uh, the head of the uh, the municipal league here in, in in Michigan, and with all our cities and townships, uh, Mayor Wild, a local mayor uh, in the city of Westland, is looking at uh, working with his school district, uh, the Wayne Westland School District, and partnering in this summer, creating learning camps using project-based learning. Uh, so, listening to the young people about what they see is some of the most uh, challenging problems within their community. From their level, what do they see? Whether it's lack of recreation, whether it's lack of jobs for young people, and the young people will work taking that big problem that they originate with, they will search out, research, do the work uh, to come up with answers to that. And his goal is to have those young people present those solution, not just in a term paper that gets a, you know, a C, a D, a A or a B on it, but it's presented to the city council. And some of the ideas that come forth through that learning process 
um, can actually go through the city council, go through the city planning department and be implemented and funded, uh, depending on how creative and, and good those answers are. Um, and I really commend the good mayor for for having the, the, the thought of not just having summer school in his, uh, in, in his city. Um, summer school to too many kids sounds like a, a prison sentence, a three-month prison sentence sitting in a hot classroom. Um, so he's really taking PBL, uh, using technology, and uh, front-loading that excitement of learning for young people that uh, will be an experience, I believe, that'll last uh, a lifetime. And just the, the empowerment of students to know that they can have an impact is really, really powerful. Yeah, listening to kids, isn't that a unique concept, right? <laughs> what, what do they think? And that's another silver lining of the pandemic is uh, parents have a voice that they didn't have before because they were thrown into being teachers and facilitators of learning. But students are finally being asked what's working and not working um, and giving giving real feedback and, and being heard, maybe for the first time in a lot of cases with, with some student yeah. populations. Absolutely. You know, JB, JW, that's a really an important point because... Um, a lot of people, you know, talk about going back to normal and face to face. But the fact is, what we have learned from listening to parents and uh, and and students and teachers is that uh, this remote learning, e-learning, blended learning opportunity of its high quality can and does work for some kids better than face to face. So it's not about uh, one or the other. It's really about blending and using what tools that are in front of you. Um, to best meet the needs of students. Uh, one size uh, never fixes all. Um, and so uh, that's one of the learning pieces that have come out. There's some kids that don't want to go back uh, to face-to-face -to -face classroom. As, as the young people say today, it's too much drama. Um, and the drama is eliminated uh, oftentimes by uh, using a blended uh, learning method and, and using a project-based learning uh, curriculum base. Absolutely. And there are certain students that may never have raised their hands in a classroom and now are chatting or even speaking up uh, through the, uh, you know, technology. And, and that's something that uh, educators have realized, parents have realized, even the students themselves have some self-realization. Um, and, and I really hope that that stays in this hybrid learning model or uh, stays available to those students. Yeah, let's not rush back to what wasn't working for a lot of uh, children. Let's uh, take a pause, take a look at it, and, and realize that there's different learning styles for, for young people, and uh, let's use the best tool, tools available to help them learn. Absolutely, and, and back to project-based learning. Project-based learning has been around pre-internet, uh, pre-technology, but it has really been enhanced uh, and accelerated uh, with technology. Talk about how project-based learning has really benefited from this uh, evolution of technology? Well, I think that it's like everything else. You can take what's good and uh, modify it in a way and and find uh, new and effective ways to, uh, to present it to young people. You know, the kids that are growing up now um, are those digital natives. Uh, for, for me, um, you know, use of a computer was something that uh, first came to me in, 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 my, uh, in my 20s. Young people today can uh, are, are more apt to to look at a phone screen or a an iPad uh, than looking in the face. Uh, so it's really taking 
those tools that are available and uh, finding ways to marry them with uh, the interest of young people in a way that uh, gives them the skills that prepares them um, for that future that they're going to be facing. And I feel like project-based learning has really benefited from the accessibility and the um, scalability that not only can you connect with those at your school, but you can connect across town or across the world to work in teams and, um, and, and solve problems that are outside of your, your local community as well. You know, that's a, it's a very good point, uh, the whole issue of scalability, because oftentimes we're finding in talking with uh, school districts, they, you know, they get a little bit afraid, whether it's, uh, you know, using centric learning product or others that are out there, um, that somehow or another this is just going to be an expense to the school district. But we uh, at Centric, I, I've watched them uh, partner with school districts uh, in, in uh, ways that can really augment learning and do it in a way that's very cost efficient uh, for the district. Um, oftentimes using this, that's less than half the per pupil allocation. And that goes back to the point you were making earlier. So then resources, if you're, if it's not costing you the full amount to educate that child and you're doing it in a quality way, that enables you to hire maybe a few more social workers or counselors or provide the professional development uh, that teachers uh, need and deserve. So it's it's really enabled progressive uh, educational leaders to use the dollars that they have uh, more effectively in order to bring about uh, learning uh, for, for our kids. And post-pandemic, potentially use those dollars for some more field trips and experiential learning opportunities um, instead of just being in the, the same classroom all day. Um, yeah, well, it's something, you know, the state superintendent, I said, is, you know, why, where is it written that a uh, high school has to be, you know, 20 acres with a, an athletic field of swimming pools, tennis courts, and, and the like? Uh, why can't learning take place um, at the uh, General Motors headquarters or the museum or the library or the uh, national park or the state park? Uh, learning doesn't have to be confined uh, to the uh, six-hour school days, the four walls of a school, and the two bindings of a book. Learning is ubiquitous, and technology can help uh, great teachers make uh, make that learning come alive for our kids. And a wise person once told me on a recent podcast that sometimes the best online learning happens offline. <laughs> the technology helps enable that connection um, but but it doesn't online learning doesn't mean being on Zoom eight hours a day, um, and I think yeah. that was part of the point. Yeah, you know it's it's interesting you say that because I say in Michigan we have snow days, and quite honestly, there's no reason with technology to ever have another snow day. I, I know kids and teachers that are listening may not want to hear that, um, but the, you know one uh, superintendent was arguing, well, we have to have it; it's tradition and the like. Well, you can have a snow day. The kids don't have to be locked into their seat looking at a, a, a screen. They can go out and play and then come back in synchronous, asynchronous ways that they can use technology uh, to be learning when kids are actually up and awake, which is usually not during the school day. Their biology is, you know, they're, they're clicking at 10 o'clock at night where maybe the oldsters are going to bed. Uh, you know, so some learning can happen between 10 and 2 in the morning. Uh, so using technology to, to, to really tap into the interests, desires, and passions of young people is just something that really excites me. 
And same here. Uh, earlier you were talking, I want to come back to this because I love it so much, uh, uh, talking about students identifying their own problems and, and using project-based learning to solve those. Um, it, it seems like there's a, a component of design thinking here. Um, and I know that's been kind of a buzzword uh, in recent years. Uh, but what is the connection between project-based learning and design thinking? Well, to me, it's really connecting young people with what's real. Um, I'm, I've got a podcast coming up uh, on Beyond the Classroom with a guy named Dave Stedrick, who I met uh, through Centric Learning. And he was a educator in England and came to the United States, worked with me uh, in, in China, and is now running a school called The Real School in Budapest, Hungary, um, where, they're, where they're using these uh, connections to bring about, I mean, I love the name of the school. It's real. Uh, real school in, in Buddhist past Hungary. So any way that you can connect young people to stuff that they think is real and relevant in, in their lives is uh, is of, of great value. And and one last uh, kind of question before we, we kind of start to ramp down as we're coming up on our time, which is uh, really making me want to have you back on again soon. The last uh, question I have for you is we seem to be coming out of this information economy, this information age, where there's information everywhere. And these digital natives are now transitioning into the attention economy, um, where really it's it's keeping their attention um, so that they can learn how to learn, so that they can learn how to navigate this world. Uh, what advice would you have educate, to educators out there on the best ways to, to meet the students where they're at and, and keep their attention and engage them in the learning process as there's now information everywhere and it's no longer just about memorizing facts and dates that they could look up in a second, um, but really engaging them for that higher level engagement and learning. Well, there's a lot of different strategies, I think, um, that we can learn, but I think uh, one of the best is listening to young people. Um, take the time to understand that uh, there are young people with maybe not the same life experience you have, but uh, they have feelings, they have uh, desires, they have hopes and dreams. And um, by listening to our young people, we can learn a lot. Um, never think that uh, you, as the superintendent, the governor, the principal, the teacher, have all the answers. Uh, sometimes those answers um, emanate from the young people from from uh, grade school on up. I, I was very fortunate. I served on the Detroit School Board, and I, some of the most articulate people that came in front of us were the vice uh, uh, president and president of the Citywide Student Council. Um, today, uh, one of those men is a major minister in the city of Detroit. The other went on to be the campaign manager for a great mayor of the city of Detroit and now working uh, for Ford Motor Company. Um, when they spoke, um, I asked my colleagues to give the citywide uh, student council president an honorary seat on the school board table so that uh, one of the last voices we hear as we set policy uh, was that of our youth. And as state superintendent of schools, I'm proud that I recommend to the state school board that uh, they give the Michigan Teacher of the Year uh, 
a seat at the uh, state's board table. So the last voice the state board heard and hears to this day is that of a great teacher. So listening to our students, listening to our teachers, uh, we in policymaking roles can learn a lot. I love that. And it makes me think of uh, the, the quote, uh, don't, fam don't mistake familiarity with understanding. Uh, because <laughs> yeah. you see a student that looks like a student the year before, that's a different student. You really need to understand them. Um, same thing for administrators and, and educator relationships. Um, take the time to listen, take the time to get to know the people, the students, the situations, and really understand them and have that empathy, which is another big word in 2020 that uh, should have been a big word long before and, and hopefully will be a big word. Yeah, people have said once God gave you two ears and one mouth so you can listen twice as much as you speak. There you go. Tom, this has been an amazing uh, conversation. And as my audience knows, uh, we always like to end uh, these episodes with a, a half glass full uh, positive story, uh, whether that's from 2020 or here in 2021, moving into the future. So uh, if you could uh, give us a few more minutes of your time and, uh, and think of uh, a positive story that we can end on here. Well, this is even more than a glass is half full. It's a class that's overflowing. It's a young man that I that I met and know, uh, Eli, who uh, is here in the United States uh, working using project-based learning, in fact, on the Centric uh, Learning Hero platform. And uh, his classmates, uh, a Ukrainian girl and who's living in, in Brazil and Brazilian students, and they had to take uh, an English uh, an assignment and and kind of uh, do a new take on, on Cinderella. And he, he shared with me his uh, story, his take uh, on the Cinderella story. And it had me in stitches. Uh, the, the level of creativity and the, the, the uh, collaboration that he did with students on a couple of different continents to put this, uh, this story together. And the, the joy is, as he read it to me, um, was really magical, um, and that he that he worked with uh, you know the children uh, from different places in the world, different aspects, and how each and every one of them really added value. And it, it reminded me of the work that I've done uh, collaborating with people from different cultures and language in the back, and uh, you know to see uh, that level of learning and that excitement in this young man's uh, voice and, and face. Um, and the product that he had was more than getting a red AA plus uh, from the teacher's pen on it. Um, he learned. And how magical, how exciting is that when a young man during this tough pandemic um, can interact with people from around the world and actually have a learning experience that I believe um, will be something that he'll remember all of his life. I couldn't think of a better story to end on. It's truly inspiring. Uh, the power of technology, the power of, uh, you know, centric learning uh, is just uh, really, really inspiring. So thank you so much for joining us today, Tom. Great to be with you, and thank you much for having me. 
Absolutely. And to my audience, uh, thank you so much for joining another episode with us. Be sure to check out past episodes and also be sure to check out Beyond the Classroom uh, with Tom Watkins. You can hear him every month uh, on that podcast. It'll be one of my favorite new podcasts to check out uh, here in 2021. And uh, be sure to join us next time. Thank you again for listening and always, always keep learning.